Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Ponzi schemer Bernard Madoff is racked with grief. This is from the New York Post uh, in uh, 2015. Ponzi schemer Bernie Madoff is racked with grief that his two sons never forgave him for pulling off the multi-billion dollar scam. Andrew, one of his sons, died in September 2014 of cancer and he blamed his father for the relapse of cancer that he had in 2012 that caused him stress and shame. His older brother, Michael, a mark rather, hanged himself in 2010 on the two-year anniversary of his father's arrest. Madoff is in prison for 150 years, and he says this, as difficult as it is for me to live with the pain inflicted on so many, there is nothing to compare with the degree of pain I endure with the loss of my sons, Mark and Andy. Madoff wrote, I live with the knowledge that they never forgave me for betraying their love and their trust. Madoff's sons lived lives of unimaginable luxury and privilege, as did Madoff's wife, who now lives in relative poverty and obscurity. The question before us today is, what was Madoff's real responsibility to his children? What is our responsibility to the next generation? More broadly, what kind of inheritance are we supposed to be leaving to the next generation? We find this issue surfacing all over the Bible. One of the passages that comes to mind from Psalm 145, One generation shall declare your works to another and proclaim your greatness. And then there's that passage in the Shema, which says, uh, These words of the commandment of this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And we find the same idea in verse 7 of today's Torah passage, where we read this. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Ask your elders, and they will tell you. The passage challenges me and challenges us as parents and as older people and as elders uh, it is telling us that we are responsible to transmit a spiritual inheritance to the next generations. 
In our passage today, Moses functions like a father to all of Israel. And he, he's talking about this inheritance that needs to be left for the children of Israel before he departs from them and they enter into the land. We, you and me, you and I, we need instruction as to what kind of inheritance we are responsible to leave and to instill in the next generation. That's why in today's Torah passage, I was grateful in examining Moses' words to find five characteristics of the inheritance that Moses left with the children of Israel, which we should use as a model in preparing ourselves to do what we ought to do in reference to the next generation. I want to pause about that and say something about the book of Job. I was reading the book of Job recently, and Job had ten children, seven sons, three daughters. And in the beginning of the book of Job, we find him uh, offering sacrifices. He says, because maybe my children have sinned against God. Now, he's got adult children. I have adult children. My youngest child will be 30 years old soon. My oldest one is 35. And in our culture, you know, we tend to think when a child is 18 years old or so, they're on their own. No. The responsibility we have to uh, give an inheritance and instill an inheritance in those who come after us does not end. And even for those of us here who are not parents, you still have an opportunity to have influence on the younger generation, and you have a responsibility to do that. And that's what this important Torah passage has to say. And by the way, my whole sermon is footnotes to Mary Haller's uh, comments. It's privilege to be Mary's footnotes. So I want to give you those five characteristics. First of all, we're responsible to pass on to the next generation the inheritance of knowing the truth about God and who he is and what he's like. That's what Mary touched on. Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness without iniquity, just and upright is he. Does that mean that we need to teach the coming generations to teach them the Bible? Yes, it does. But it means more than that. It means that as fathers, as mothers, as elders in the fellowship, we must cultivate a personal history with God whereby we can speak personally of God's character and his ways, not just telling about the Bible, but telling about God's faithfulness and his character with us. Do we have anything to tell them? We should. Sure, we should and we can tell the next generation uh, and the generations to come all about the history of God's dealings with Israel. But for this to have power, it needs to be combined with stories of God's faithfulness and goodness and power to people they know. And we must be able to talk about his faithfulness to ourselves. Do you have stories to tell other people about how faithful God has been to you? I hope so. It is one thing telling your children how God healed somebody in the Bible. 
It's another thing telling your children about how God healed somebody in their congregation. Better still, it is really something to tell your children about how God healed somebody in their family. So again, I ask us this question. Do you have a history with God to pass on to your next generation? If not, then they will have no inheritance. By the way, we should not gauge the depth of our spiritual life by how we compare to other people around us. Generally, that watermark is too low. We all need to have a higher holy ambition. Our goal should be to maximize our human potential as servants of God. Our models should be the people in the scriptures who most reflect God's standards of excellence. That is why Paul could say, be imitators of me as I am of the Messiah. So let's have a high standard for the kind of life we should live, the kind of faith we should model. We're responsible, number two, that's the first. We need to pass on to the next generation the knowledge of God and who he is, what he's like. Secondly, Moses tells us we're responsible to pass on to the next generation an inheritance of knowing the truth about human nature and about pitfalls that they need to be aware of. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 5 and 6, Moses says this, they have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you, and established you? We're living in a culture, I think you'll agree, that is confused about human responsibility, about human capacity, about human failure. From an intimate acquaintance with the Bible as discussed and learned in wise communities, and this includes people in our own traditions who model this wisdom, we need to share with the next generation a nuanced, a fair, a balanced and accurate awareness of human moral and spiritual failure, what it looks like and how to avoid it. Number three, and I've got five, this is the third. You and I are responsible to pass on to the next generation the inheritance of knowing the truth about why we owe God because of what he has done for us. We need to give our children a sense of our indebtedness and their indebtedness to God. Because ours is a godless and ungrateful generation, we must train the next generation in awareness of and gratitude for God's many blessings. You know, gratitude does not come naturally. When you have a little kid, a really young kid, and let's say the child is four years old, and Aunt Ida gives him a piece of candy, the mother will say to the kid, what do you say? We, uh, we train children to be grateful. And not just little children, all of us need training in gratitude. In verse, uh, 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 in, in verse 8 and 9,
we have one of the blessings that we should be grateful for. It's the blessing of being chosen. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. So first, one of the things we should be grateful for is the privilege of being amongst God's chosen people. Uh, Romans 3. What advantage has the Jew much in every way? First of all, to them was given the oracles of God. In chapter 9, God talks about eight other blessings that belong to the Jews just because he chose them, not because we Jews are any better, but just because he wanted to. That's one thing, that's one area in which gratitude needs to be cultivated. In verse 10 to 12, uh, he talks about the blessings of protection. Uh, verse 10, he found him, that is Israel, in a desert land, in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him when no foreign god was with him. So that's, that's the protection. You know, people ask, why, why have uh, the Jewish people suffered so much? It's a very important question, which should never be trivialized. We should never flippantly deal with that. Uh, in this synagogue, before it was Tikvat Yisrael, there were people who stood up to say Kaddish for people who were incinerated in the ovens. People, people, my father's whole village in Europe, 3,000 Jews, all taken out to the forest and killed in 1945. The suffering of the Jewish people is not a light thing. But neither is it a light thing that despite these attempts to wipe us out, the Jews have survived and thrived for 2,000 years, most of which, and uh, uh, 1,900 years plus, they had no homeland at all. And that's something to be grateful for, that God, in the midst of the hell that we've been through, has kept us alive. And then in verse 13 and 14, another thing to be grateful for is the blessing of sustenance and provision. Verse 13, he made him ride on the high places of the land. He ate the produce of the field. He suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock, the fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats with the very finest of wheat, and you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. God has kept us, not only kept us alive, but he's, you know, the children of Israel 40 years in the wilderness with no visible means of support. Nothing. Nothing. No plants. Nothing. And God kept us alive for 40 years. That's, that's not something to forget. Again, such awareness and gratitude do not come naturally. Not to me, not to you, not to the next generation. In fact, from Moses' point of view and that of God, people are by nature ungrateful. And we Jews, by nature, are ungrateful. Verse 18, you were unmindful of the rock who bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. So 
we need training in gratitude. We must model gratitude to the next generation. We must live as grateful people, always aware of how much God has done for us. These attitudes will only be picked up if we ourselves model them. When you needed to wake up your child for school, those of you who are parents, when you needed to wake your child up to go to school, you first had to get out of bed yourself. And if we would awaken the next generation to the gratitude they owe to God, we need to wake ourselves up first. That's my admonition. Number four, we are responsible to pass on to the next generation an inheritance of knowing what it means to take God's words to heart and therefore what it means to live them out. At the end of our passage, we read this, and, uh, and uh, Mary read this. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. We must imprint the next generation by first imprinting ourselves to take heart the words that God has given us. What does it mean to take the words to heart? I have a favorite passage in, verse, in chapter 30, which explains it. It says, uh, the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart so you can do it. This tells us what we should be doing with the Scripture. First of all, the Word is near us. We have the opportunity to engage with the Word, and some passages of Scripture will appeal to us, and it's near us. Then it's in our mouth. We ought to be chewing over it. We ought to be repeating it to ourselves, meditating on it, not just in our head, but literally, it's in your mouth. Meditation in the Bible is murmuring the scripture to yourself over and over again, taking it apart, repeating it, letting it sink in. The word is near you, it is in your mouth, then it is in your heart. It trickles down to the control center of your life. It is in your heart so that you can do it. My friends, I'm overeducated. I have 26 years of post high school education. I've got four degrees, bachelor's degree, two master's degrees, a PhD. I read a lot, but there's no book to compare, with, to compare with scripture. Nothing compares to it. And my admonition to us is we need to have not just a kind of utilitarian knowledge of the Bible where, oh, we know where to find Bible proof texts to prove this, to prove that. Or we know where to find text to explain this or explain that. Or even we read the Bible three times a year. That's all good. But what we need is an intimate acquaintance with the Scripture. It's something we return to constantly. We're always living in it. It's always living in us. Have you ever known anybody like that? Anybody? I have. These, are, these are, tend to be extraordinary people. People who have an intimate relationship with the Scripture. We should have 
this intimate relationship with us, with the scriptures, so that we can pass, we can have something to pass on to our children. We will only have the power to command these texts to our children if this intimacy with the word is evident in our lives. It's exciting. I used to have a woman in my congregation named Vivian Newman. Vivian, when I knew her, was in her 70s. She died in her late 80s. She was from Russia. Uh, she had worked uh, uh, for, uh, she had a beauty parlor for Nordstrom's in, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, she was a very elegant woman. But if you visit her house, she always had an open Bible in her lap. And she was a tremendous woman of God, a woman of great faith, a woman of prayer. Uh, but she had this intimate knowledge of Scripture. And again, it's not a question of head of just, you know, becoming a Bible expert. There are Bible experts of whom none of this is true. It's a matter of an intimate relationship with the Scripture. And the old slogan, do as I say, don't do as I do, is less than worthless. The next generation will only do what we say if it's evident in what we do. We can only commend intimacy with the Scripture to the next generation if they have caught us being intimate with the Bible, not just once or twice, but all the time. Now I come to my final point. The fifth thing we are responsible for uh, to pass on to the next generation is the surety that all of this that I've been talking about really pays off. That it's not just something you do because this is what good believers do. It's not something you do to keep your nose clean. It really pays off. Moses talks about it. He says, for this is no empty word for you. It's your very life, and by this word, you shall live long in the land that you're going over to possess. You want to live long and prosper? You want to be uh, one of Stock's uh, uh, disciples? This is how you do it. It's not an empty word for you. Uh, uh, this is not jive. Look at Madoff. Oh, my God. Madoff had billions and billions and billions of dollars. Uh, he had a home, in, uh, had a villa in France. He had a home in New York. He had another home. He had billions of dollars. His children had millions of dollars. And now, what does he have? He has an 8 by 12 cell and a, a lifetime of shame. Two dead sons and a wife who changed her last name because she doesn't dare to be known as a Madoff and who has to inform a court-appointed official every time she spends more than $100 because they're always after any extra money the Madoffs have. Wow. We need a track record with God whereby we can point out from experience that God is indeed the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Our lives and our words should impress this legacy on the next generation. Bernie Madoff sought to leave a huge inheritance to his children. Instead, 
He left them shame, impoverishment, and death. But our Torah text reminds us today that we, especially but not only the fathers and mothers among us, all of us, are responsible to leave to the generation a spiritual inheritance that will not and should not pass away. That's what Madoff should have done, but he didn't do. Let's not repeat his tragic error by focusing on the wrong things and failing to do the right things. I invite us all, single, married, divorced, to join in this holy responsibility of treasuring our own precious inheritance ourselves and then passing it on to the next generation. And I find, in conclusion, in Psalm 71, this prayer, which is my prayer at my age when I have three children who I desperately want to invest in before I go. Psalm 71 says this, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. May that be true for all of us. Shabbat shalom.